Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. I got it on now. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Good to see you all here, and glad to have you watching us online from wherever you are. And uh, we're glad that God is here. Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon said, For everything there is a season. And just like for everything there is a season, for everything there is a purpose, right? When you came into the church, you did not walk through the windows, right? Thank you. And if we who are God's creation make everything with a purpose, so much more God, who is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. Everything God made, He made with a purpose. My sermon title today, The Purpose of Christmas and the Church. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that once again you give us this opportunity to come into your presence and to listen. And Lord, as I open my mouth to speak today, I pray that you will anoint my lips and the words that will be spoken. I pray, Lord, that the thoughts that will come will come straight from you. And that the hearts that are here, the hearts that are listening online will be touched by the gifts that you have given us in Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered what is the primary purpose of the church on earth? What if I told you that the purpose of the church is the purpose of Christmas? Apostle Paul tells of God's purpose in his letter to the Ephesian church, to the Ephesians. So open with me your Bibles. We have Bibles in the pews for those attending that, that, that do not have their Bibles. Or if you have it on your um, phone or iPad or Android, Bible comes into different forms. Wherever the words of God are recorded, that's the Word of God. So open your Word of God to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. Paul is speaking to the Ephesians about God, and he said this, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, I read from the New International Version. In my Bible, these two verses are part of a greater passage 
verses 8 to 13, subtitle, The Purpose of the Mastery. So, God's intent was and is now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be witnessed to the universe according to His purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Four things you need to highlight in this passage. Four things. Church, wisdom of God, purpose, and Jesus Christ. And if you look at it as if you're solving a mathematical equation, the church is associated with purpose and the wisdom of God with Jesus Christ. Again, the church associated with purpose and the wisdom of God with Christ Jesus. In less than two weeks, we celebrate what? Christmas, right? What we celebrate at Christmas? The birth of Jesus. This is the season of Christmas. According to what we do, all lights, all decorations, here and everywhere you go in your neighborhood, they're not really for Santa. Therefore, baby Jesus, at least that's what we like to do as Christians, right? According to Paul, the wisdom of God must be, must be made known in his church, his people. And this wisdom, he said, was accomplished in Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Now, the question is... What is the, the, the wisdom of God that was accomplished in Jesus? I'm going to use the Pauline letters today, that is the writings of Paul to various churches in Asia Minor and in the Christian, early Christian world. I'm going to use them because he's the one presenting this topic. Paul explains this in first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 29 to 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 29 to 31. Again, so I'll be reading from New International Version. So that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him, the Father, that you are in Christ, who has become for us the wisdom from God or of God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, therefore, as it is written, let him or her who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who is the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. When the Son of God, the one who was in the beginning with God, the one who is God, the one who is equal with God. When the Son of God allowed himself to become babe in Bethlehem, as we sang, Jesus 
became the wisdom of and the wisdom from God. So who is the wisdom of God? The incarnate Jesus. God with us. Emmanuel. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us. Who is the wisdom of God? The incarnate Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. Now, what is the wisdom of God? It is what Jesus has become for us by taking human form. Paul says that Jesus became for us our righteousness, our holiness or sanctification, and our Redemption. Three things. Three things. Wisdom tradition sets the number of magi who came to see Jesus at three. I have them right here on my tie. Three magi. Three magi probably because of the three gifts they came to offer. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's what they offer. But God in His wisdom offered us through Jesus also three gifts. He offers through Jesus righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. See, if it wasn't for a baby born in Bethlehem, we would have no righteousness, no way to... to sanctification, and definitely no redemption. Now, what exactly are these gifts? What exactly are these gifts that God has given us through Jesus in Bethlehem? Not sure anyone thought about it. Not sure if anyone thinks of these three gifts when you look at the babe in a manger in Bethlehem. Have you ever thought of righteousness, holiness, and redemption when looking at baby Jesus? Righteousness is what baby Jesus has done as he grew, as he grew up and lived on earth. Luke 2.52, Lou records this in the Gospel of Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. That's what Luke describes child Jesus. Jesus became our righteousness. Let's look at another passage, again from the Pauline letters. This is the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let me add names to the 
personal pronouns here, so to make sense, to make more sense. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus was righteous, which means he lived a life without sin. A life without sin is righteousness. Have you, have I lived a life without sin this past week? How about this past month? How about in 2020? No? No. I can say no. So I can't claim righteousness. But I need it in order to have eternal life. Because I can't be in heaven without righteousness. Righteousness is, is like the uniform of heaven. is the standard attire for heaven. If I don't have it, I can't be there. And let me tell you why. Because without righteousness, my sins are exposed in the presence of God. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. Because if I'm exposed with sin in the presence of God, sin is a high-octane fuel for the holiness of God, for the presence of God. I would be consumed in a fraction of a, of a second if I attempted to be in the presence of God without righteousness. And because I don't have it, Jesus came into this world as a babe in Bethlehem. And he lived an exemplary life. He did not sin even once. His sinless life is one of the three gifts God gave us in Bethlehem through Jesus. Paul says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. In other words, Jesus took my sins, he died for me and gave me his righteousness, his righteous life so that I am covered with his righteousness and thus I can be in the presence of God in heaven. And as I'm covered by righteousness of Jesus, God is not seeing my sins, but Jesus' righteousness covers my sins. And yes, I can be in heaven. Wow. That's amazing. That's a wonderful gift. I know it's kind of a lot to digest. I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. The Magi came and offered three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And God offered three gifts through Jesus also. The first one is His righteousness. The second one is holiness or sanctification, which means to be set apart to live for God. What does it mean? Well, obedience to God, to His law. Was Jesus able to do so? Did Jesus obey God? Did he obey God's law? Yes, he did. As I said, Jesus offered a model of living. But Satan accused God 
to the universe that God's law was unfair, unjust, and was impossible to keep. His goal was, and still is, to overthrow God's law. Therefore, the great controversy between God and Satan is over God's law. Now, if you ever read Genesis, in the first pages of the Scriptures, there in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve broke God's law when they disobeyed His command taking the forbidden tree, fruit from the tree. They disobeyed God by believing Satan's accusations that God's command was unfair and unjust. And I know we hear a lot of that these days. Based on Satan's lie, they believed that God was keeping something good from them. As a result, they broke their pure and sinless relationship with God. They let their righteous life, they let go of their righteous life, and when they did, they feared Him and tried to hide themselves from God. Now, after the fall, after they disobeyed God's law and sinned, falling out of the harmony with God, Adam and his descendants, including you and me, we became into harmony with Satan and his rebellious attitude towards God and his law. In the book that talks about this topic, the conflict between good and evil, between God and Satan, in the book, The Great Controversy, on page 582, the author writes this. From the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. It was to accomplish this that he entered upon his rebellion against the Creator. And though he was cast out of heaven, he has continued the same warfare upon the earth. Then in another book, The Desire of Ages, a, a wonderful book, if you want to read something on the life of Jesus, it's a wonderful book, The Desire of Ages. Everybody desire Jesus. In Desire of Ages, page, one, page 24, the author writes, Satan represents God's law of love as a law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. That's what, God, that's what Satan presents, God's law. And because of Satan's accusations, Jesus came as a babe in Bethlehem to prove Satan wrong and to show that, his holy, that holiness is possible, to demonstrate that sanctification is possible. Jesus perfectly kept God's law, obeying from the heart. And after living a holy life, after ministering to literally thousands of people, Jesus suffered and died to pay the penalty for our sins. 
He became our redemption, the third gift of God that we got through the babe born in Bethlehem. Redemption. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, Ephesians 1 verse 7, Apostle Paul writes this. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. That's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Redemption, my friends, is salvation, but it must be understood this way. And I'm glad that we speak English here, even though I'm from Romania. I speak to you in English here. And English actually helps this understanding, the way it is worded. Redeemed means redeemed. We were deemed to be perfect, pure, and holy when we were created by God. We were deemed or considered perfect, sinless beings as we came molded from the very hands of God. But Satan deceived us in the Garden of Eden, and he still deceives today. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and when they were deceived, they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God's law and became sinful persons. See the difference? From sinful, sinless to sinful. From pure to impure. From immortal to mortals. So we were initially, originally deemed truly how God created us to be. Perfect, sinless, pure. But sin changed that status. And there was a need to be redeemed. There was a need to be redeemed. There was a need for someone to die for the penalty of our sins. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. There was a need for someone who is equal with the Creator, with God, to come here on earth and redeem us. To reestablish us to our original status. And that was the wisdom of God. The plan of salvation, as we call it. God gave us the gift of being redeemed he offered us redemption through Jesus in Bethlehem I don't know if you knew that Bethlehem in fact is a composite word in Hebrew Beth means house and Lehem means bread literally translated house of bread so Jesus, who declared himself to be the bread of life, was born in the house of bread city. How about that? Impressive, right? There in Bethlehem, the Magi came and offered 
three gifts. The Magi were considered to be wise men. And there in Bethlehem, the wisdom of men meets the wisdom of God. The wisdom of men offers nothing else but the best we can offer in temporary measures. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the wisdom of God comes and offers also three gifts and offers us offers us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Now, Apostle Paul says, going back to our initial passage, going back to Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is saying here is that it is only as the church manifests His righteousness, holiness, and redemption that she fulfills her purpose for existence. And the purpose for the church existence, Paul says, it is to manifest these three gifts, not to the world, but to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. And you and I probably thought that the purpose of the church is for the world. Paul says that God is vindicating himself to the universe through the church. And who is the church? Church is not this building. Church is not the walls. Church is people. Is you and I. Is God's people. So this Christmas, this Christmas season, God reminds us of the gifts he gave us through Jesus so that we can manifest them in front of the universe. And we know that we can't live in heaven without cover in the presence of God. Adam and Eve fear God and hid themselves from God without the cover for their sin. But through Jesus, we now have a cover. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So the very first sentence of this verse, Philippians 3 verse 9 says, Be found in Him. Be found in Him. Be found in Jesus, you and I, have the righteousness which is from God by faith. And how can we be found in Jesus? Remember John, the beloved disciple. John 15. John tells about Jesus. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. How can I? How can you? How can we abide in Jesus? 
Who is the connection? Who is the connector? The Holy Spirit is. He says, it's good that I live, that I will give you a helper. I will not leave you orphans. And Jesus says, we can only have his righteousness by being in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And that's possible by believing, by having faith. Paul is saying that it's only as the church manifests his righteousness, sanctification, and redemption that she fulfills her purpose for existence. When we, by faith, are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are imputed Christ's righteousness. In other words, we get that cover. We get that sinless life of Jesus over us, and we have a testimony to the universe. God uses his church to vindicate himself and prove Satan wrong. It is through the church that God and his law are to be vindicated as God's people. Because that's the church. Church is not building. Church is not, <clears throat> it's not a facility. Church is God's people. It is through his people that God is vindicated in front of the universe. See, Satan accused God that his law is unjust, unfair, and is impossible to keep. It is essential for you and me. It is essential for God's people to, to be obedient people. For if they're not... They are actually vindicating Satan's accusations against God's law. See, there are many Christians, including Seventh-day Adventist Christians, who say it is impossible to live a victorious life over sin. And yes, in our own power, it is impossible. But they don't realize it when they say that, they're agreeing with Satan when they say so, and they are imputing, they're throwing injustice and falsehood to God. It is possible to keep God's law when we are filled with the Spirit. I'm going to get to it just in a moment. So this Christmas season, and not just this Christmas season, but from now on, when a temptation comes your way, you may want to stop for a moment and think, who do I want to vindicate in front of the universe? Do I want to vindicate God or do I want to vindicate Satan? Because Paul is saying here that our purpose is to manifest the wisdom of God not to the world, but to the universe. On the other hand, Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, and by this, my Father will be glorified. I'm paraphrasing John 15, 8. That's how we can live a Christian, a Christ-like, I should say, Christ-like life. When we're filled with the Spirit, he gives us that power to live. And we can say like Paul, Christ lives in me. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In me, redemption is the third gift God gave us through Jesus. It is the mystery of salvation that the world cannot see and cannot comprehend. Yet we have it. Redemption is real, my friends, when we accept what Jesus did for us. And when we do so, we will not be disturbed by the things that are going on in the world. Because when we have redemption, when we are redeemed, we know we have been reestablished to our original status. We are again direct sons and daughters of God. And no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens to our bodies, we know our status has been changed through the gift of Jesus. A fellow pastor who served in the evangelism committee of a conference, not our conference, undisclosed name. At one of the meetings, the committee quoted a union president saying, a union is, is a man, is a pastor who covers a, a, a hundreds of churches in our denomination. And he said this, if everyone in the world became Seventh-day Adventist, Jesus still may not come. And I agree 100% with that president. Why am I convinced of that? I've been a Christian for over 50 years now. I've been a Seventh-day Adventist member for over 36 years. I see that our efforts to make the whole world like us have not been successful. Something that Christ will return when that happens. I heard the definition of insanity as doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. My friend, if we keep doing the same things this Christmas, if we keep doing the same things through the pandemic and beyond pandemic, we're going to be disappointed. There has been, listen to me, there has been and still is a significant ingredient missing in our lives. Pam and I chose to have that ingredient in our lives and will not let go of it until Jesus comes, until we see Jesus face to face. The ingredient that is missing in the world and in the church is the filling with the Holy Spirit. I believe it is the missing ingredient that is keeping the church from manifesting the wisdom of God into the world and in the heavenly places. If you are a part of God's church, if you consider yourself God's people, He wants to manifest His wisdom through you this Christmas season. Are you up for this challenge? Amen.